are listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider. Hey, uh, Michelle, uh, I'm not going to be able to pay July's training bill on time. Is that okay? What? Brandon Jaggers. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been a it's been a rough it's been a rough month. I mean, I, I I'm, I'm kind of short on cash. Is there is there any way you could give me like maybe sixty to ninety days to get caught up? Cece, for real? Oh my goodness, I'm so tired of y'all's BS. And me, Cece brought us. Hello, Michelle. Hello. She hung up. The auxiliary gate. Big problem. Welcome to episode number 122 of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. I'm CC Broadus, and I'm joined by Alan Schneider. Alan, I've got a question for you. Which rabbit hole do you want to go down tonight? I'm going to give you three options. Okay, this is why you make me happy when you do things like that. Hint, hint. Hint, hint. So, uh, rabbit hole one, Jim Nance is going to retire as host of the Final Four or, or play-by-play guy for the Final Four. Uh, this, okay. this coming season's his last year. Go there. Number two, we can talk about Stephen A. Smith on the Bill Maher show uh, saying that he likes Big Booty. Okay. Or number three, we can talk about this possum that comes up on my back porch and eats all the cat food. Okay. Uh, number one, I'm definitely not going to do number two. Uh, <laughs> did you hear what I just said? <laughs> um, uh, uh, I have done that in the past uh, because uh, the Stephen A. Smith stuff, the whole hot take culture is annoying as fuck to me, and uh, he's the uh, he's the precursor of that. And him and all the other radio shows that do that absolute nonsense. Uh, not just him, not to pick on him. So that's out that's out the window or whatever. I don't need to know your take on everything. And not everything's a take just for controversy and to get people talking. I'd rather watch people to play the sports. So we're not that. I won't be there. the first one was Jim Nance. I got nothing against Jim Nance. He's kind of dull. But uh, if you, unless you have a master's impersonation of him, I will skip to number three. Ian Eagle is actually taking over for Nance. I like Ian Eagle. Ian Eagle's good, yeah. Yeah, he's good. That'll, that'll be good. But, yeah, the, so there's this possum that comes up on the back porch. He, I, I thought possums, like, ate bugs and stuff like that. But this possum will come up and eat whatever's on the back porch. We'll throw, like, chicken back there or pasta or lettuce or whatever. Because we, we're trying to feed these cats, we've got these three little kittens. This freaking possum comes up and just like eats everything. Like I didn't uh, know, that you didn't know that me. that worries me a little bit. I didn't know possums were meat eaters. Uh, well, I think possums will eat anything. And actually, if you're going to throw that kind of good stuff on your back porch, I may wander out that way. Or well, whatever. no, I, like I'm talking like chicken bones and, I, for instance, I cooked a, or grilled a ribeye tonight. I had some fat left over. I threw the fat out there on the patio for the kids. Oh, I don't eat fat. I mean, no. inflation is hitting everybody and stuff. The economy's in rough shape. And and I would I would come to your back porch and maybe eat some lasagna if you threw it out there. But I ain't eating fat. So well, uh, the possum's been a problem. So I was out there. This is a couple months ago. I was out there on the patio, just sitting there, and uh, it was a nice evening. And 
I felt something rub against my leg. I had I had a plate there for the kittens to eat off of with cat food in it, and I felt something rub my leg, and I thought it was those kittens. I looked down, that possum is between my feet eating out of the bowl, and it kind of freaked me out. We had a – and the possum had a special moment. But, uh, <laughs> oh, God. I mean, will, yeah. a possum, will a possum attack me? Yes. Uh, they, yeah. they hiss and stuff. Well, and his, but I don't know whether they, I mean if 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 he'll uh, eat a chicken leg, will he he'll go after my leg? Well, okay. I mean, do you have chicken legs? Maybe he will. I, uh, I yeah, know. He, he you know they have rabies. And this funny story is you know uh, my, I have a dear friend. Uh, she uh, she's like a sister from another mister. She maybe listened uh, to this whatever. And her name is Michelle Ingram, and she is the sweetest person on earth, and everybody loves her, but she hates possums. She she absolutely and she if she does listen to this, she'll she'll uh, get a kick out of the fact that I mentioned it. She despo- she despises possums and she's had some run-ins with them or whatever. So if she won't mess with them, I ain't gonna mess with oh, them. Oh, they're but. they're so unattractive too. They're so yeah. unattractive. They, yeah. And my dad, I remember my dad uh, way way back in the day. I didn't really know what a bookie was. He, he before the before we had all the what we have now with online wagering. He had a bookie, and that's what people would do. They go make a bet ten dollars, twenty dollars with a bookie, and horse and with horse racing. And his bookie's name was actually Possum, believe it or not. So everything just came full circle. That's uh, Indian Charlie's nickname for Dallas Stewart. Possum. That is correct. Yes. Yeah. I think we ought to change it to a Possum Racing podcast. As much as we've talked about him. Yeah. How would you pick out a good possum at the yearling sale? <laughs> I don't know if they. I, that's a great question. I, I think they're ugly little bastards too. I wouldn't have nothing to do with them, but yeah. All right. Well, I mean, how was your weekend? I I was Kentucky didn't play this week, and I'm waiting for them to get uh, take on Tennessee this week, and you know we'll see how that goes. They got a shot. They got a shot. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, Tennessee, they pounded somebody. I don't think they played anybody. UT Martin. UT. They got Martin. Georgia next week. I hope they're looking ahead. I think I got a neighbor named UT Martin. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you've got a very cool guest. Oh, yeah. On, uh, who had some success at Keeneland on Saturday uh, uh, from the big crowd. That's uh, had to be an exhilarating feeling, and, and we're going to uh, we're going to get with her uh, without further ado. How do you spell a do? Is it A-D-O or is it A-D-I-E-U? A-D-I-E-U. A do. That's how you bid somebody a do, though, right? Yeah. Uh, not to brag, but I, my spelling bee prowess back when I was growing up was pretty impressive. Oh, see. And, and of course, I'm a bit of a grammar Nazi too. So, yes, you can take, take, it's I-D-A-D-I-E-U. Well, I'm going to give you a little background on me. Okay. I'm a, you didn't know this about me, but I am a two-time Nelson County spelling bee champion. Oh, shit. We're going to have a spell off. Enchilada. I didn't know how to spell a do, though. I thought... I thought it was A-D-O. A, or is it A-D-O or A-D-I-E-U? If you bid someone to do, it's A-D-I-E-U. Right, but without further ado. That's A-D-O. A-D-O? Right. See, I mean, we don't try to give out winners and stuff on this son of a bitch. I mean, that's too hard. But we try to talk about the important things in life, right? Absolutely. Okay. So, without further ado, let's get to our guest right now. You make me happy, leads it by almost a full length. Now bet he's ready, takes aim yet another time. Supremely tries to join them, but still third. You make me happy, leads it a half length. Bet he's ready, then supremely. You make me happy, bet he's ready. You make me happy, wins it by a head. Last Saturday, 
Keeneland, as it is on most days, was the happiest place on earth, especially if you backed a bay son of Kentucky Derby runner-up firing line named You Make Me Happy, who broke his maiden in start number 14 in Keeneland's third race, a maiden $75,000 claimer. If you're like many of us, you looked at your program and said, who is Trudy Vino? Well, she's the owner and trainer of You Make Me Happy, and we have her with us tonight to tell the great story of this fabulous horse. Trudy, how's it going? It's doing pretty good, guys. Okay, so uh, let's get to the bottom of it right now. Who in the world is Trudy Vino? Well, you know, she's just a girl that thought she would like to be a jockey really late in life. I was 24, turning almost 25, up in Nova Scotia. Never saw a racehorse in my entire life. Thought that I would give a call to a friend of mine down in Maryland and tell him that I was five foot nothing, weighed X amount of pounds, and always wanted to be a jockey. So it was kind of like running away and joining the circus. <laughs> he got me a job with Jonathan Shepard learning how to gallop horses. I left a loving husband, five businesses, and uh, headed on down to meet Mr. Shepard and carry on the dream of becoming a jockey at 24, turning 25 years old. So it sounds like you got on the on the right track immediately working for Jonathan Shepard. What oh, was he like? You know, Jonathan Shepard was one of the best horsemen I ever worked for. But because he was the first horseman I ever worked for, I had nothing to compare it to. But it didn't take me long to realize the kind of horsemanship that Jonathan taught me while I was there on the farm. Um, he was a Hall of Fame steeplechase trainer, but those old horses were like 8, 9, 12 years old. And there were 85 headed horses on the farm in training. He had a string at Delaware. And I spent two years there just, you know, learning the ropes, learning the ropes. And I ended up down in Florida uh, on the racetracks there. My first racetrack job was down at Calder. And I stayed there and started uh, race riding in Tampa Bay Downs around, I don't know, 1993 or four, somewhere in there. Any racetracks uh, in Nova Scotia? Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> the closest racetrack uh, to Nova Scotia would be a two-day drive to Woodbine in Toronto. And I rode races in Toronto probably almost 25 years ago for Tino Attard and a bunch of other trainers up there. But I did spend two summers up there in Woodbine. Uh, love Woodbine. It's a great track. So, Alan, help me. Jonathan Shepard, didn't he train Stormcat? That's right. He did. That's he a did. long time ago. But yeah. He did. Yeah, Augustine Stable guy, right? I can't believe you would even know that. Yes, he did. Right. Yeah. Well, I know he ran second in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile uh, at Aqueduct. I remember that right. He had the lead, and I think Tasso ran him down. But that's, yeah, that's that's the first time, I, uh, the first memory of Jonathan Shepard. And you're right. He's a he ultra Classy yeah. horseman, just I mean, yeah. You just think you think of Jonathan Shepard, you think of, uh, of the, the best, best of all time. Yeah, the best. No doubt about that. So uh, ultimately, you, you got into uh, pin hooking uh, weanlings. Is that correct? You 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 pin hook weanlings and you sell I did, them. And I want to say, yeah, and I want to say that's my specialty. I mean, I landed there late in life. I pin hooked 
yearling to two-year-old for 10 years and made a living, I would go to the yearling sales and buy yearlings with no pedigree, break them, and take them to Keeneland for eight, nine years and run them early April and sell them off the racetrack. And I just always felt, for me personally, it was easier to have a two-year-old ready to run four and a half furlongs in April than it was to do a quarter of a mile, an eighth of a mile in March. You know, everything has to go right on breeze day if you're doing the two-year-old thing. You know, you can't have a temperature. The jockey can't be run off with going to the pole. You know, no equipment breaks. But at Keeneland, you at least have three weeks to play with uh, with your two-year-old. And you know that you, you know in advance that you have to be four and a half furlongs fit going in. So I would go to the yearling sales and buy uh, horses with very little pedigree, but that looked athletic and hoped that I could have them broke and confident enough to outrun their pedigree in April. And I did that pretty successfully for 10 years at Keeneland. So before we started recording, you told us the story of the race. I think I heard this right, a race you won at Keeneland in the spring. yeah, I don't know what year that was, but there was a filly that I bought um, by Pure Prize in the July sale. No, no bid. Uh, she, uh, she, I think she RNA'd for less than $10,000. She wasn't a $1,000 no bid kind of filly, but I think the reserve was 10 and they missed with her. And her cannon bones weren't bigger than my thumb, but she was so athletic. And the first time I turned her out, all of the hair stood up on my neck. I just knew this filly was as light on her feet as a deer. And I named her Cowgirls Don't Cry. And uh, ran her once. And I ran her opening weekend at Keeneland in April. And she ran third or fourth, got in a little trouble, turned around and wheeled her back quick. And she won the day that Julian Perot went over the inside fence on the two-year-old filly and made the Eclipse Award-winning photo. (laughs) Cowgirls Don't Cry actually won that race and went on to win a grade uh, two race with Todd Pletcher. was a really nice filly in the end of the day. I remember the race. I didn't oh, yeah. remember that, that was your horse. but I, I, It was I, a two-page photo in the Blood Horse magazine. Like, if you opened it up center when the Blood Horse was actually publishing real magazines, it was a two-page spread photograph. That's, uh, that's pretty incredible. So, now, I know one of – just doing a quick Twitter search, I, I saw that one of the horses that you have pinhooked was Gray Attempt. Is that correct? That's a horse that Jinx fires – purchased yes. and then eventually raced for Chris Hartman and, and, and won uh, several races. Uh, what did you see about Gray Attempt that you liked? Thank you for noticing that because um, I'm really proud of those horses. I When I started pinhooking Weanling to Yearling, I do all the work myself. So I can only physically do four to six horses a year, you know, and that would be my average of numbers. And with those small crops, I've had two horses on the Derby Trail. Gray Attempt was one of them, and Three Technique was the other. Oh, Jason Cook. Jason Cook yes. just won Derby Day this year. Yes. Yes. Both of those were my students. Gray Attempt was probably one of the best radars there ever was. He was just a rock-hard, hard-bodied colt. Um, 
he was never really cut up out for derby distance. You know, they turned down, I want to say, close to a million dollars for him when he was on the derby trail. Um, but I think deep down they knew he didn't really want to do the distance. Last year, he won $200,000 races at Churchill going five on the grass. So that should tell you all you need to know about him. But he really and truly was one of the best um, protege of Gradar. Three Technique was also on the Derby Trail after that. And he was by, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, it's Jeremiah Englehart, I think, had the horse initially. I may be wrong about that. It seems like right. it was. Bill, Bill Parcells owned him, right? Englehart had him, but he was by a $5,000 stud fee uh, uh, at Three Chimneys by. Um, Mr. Speaker. Yes, it was, Mr. Speaker. And so I didn't even know who Mr. Speaker was, but I gave $50,000 for that horse as a weanling. He was the first protege of Mr. Speaker to ever go through a ring as a weanling. And I gave $50,000 for him. I got $185,000 for him in the July select sale. It was really nice cold. He also didn't want to go the distance. He was on the Derby Trail. They thought about it. They placed him in all the qualifying events. But at the end of the day, he didn't want to go the distance. Um, he's still running in stakes races to this day. Um, both my both of those horses I broke and was riding bareback well before I took them to, the, to their July sale and to their September sale. I can show you video of me riding them anywhere around the farm bareback. In 2019, you picked out a son of Firing Line, who was, uh, I believe, at the time, maybe a $5,000 stallion out of a warfront mare. And I think you gave $16,000 for him. And uh, what what exactly did you see in this particular weanling? You know, like, I have partners in most of my higher-priced babies, um, but I always try and scoop up something solely for me. So when I stumbled across this little guy, I looked at that guy and kind of knew where his price point would be, was looking for something really athletic. Um, um, and it was his, his, truly it was his athleticism that draw me, drew me to him. He was correct. Um, brown paper wrapper, you know, like nothing flashy, but I needed something I could afford. And that's how I've made my living for 20 years, you know, buying something up that I could afford that I knew would grow into something special. And it's, and, and the funny part about this colt was I had all intentions of selling him in the September sale. That's what I bought him for. And it didn't take me long. Like, I wish I could send you the video of this colt in January of 20. Because that's you said I bought him in nineteen, right? By January twenty, this colt would lay himself down. I had eight I had eight wheelings that year. And this colt would lay himself down in a ten acre field and breeze himself a half a mile, not once, but five times around the gang. And they got tired of following, they got tired of keeping up. I never in twenty five years saw a baby do what this baby did. And I knew in January I wanted to keep this baby. Like, I could talk all day about this baby. And um, I knew I had to go to September and hope that somebody would see what I know because I'd watched him for 10 months. He was a Humpty Dumpty kind of a fella. He had a belly. 
he was a plain Jane, you know, brown paper wrapper kind of guy. And I knew that nobody would see what I know. So COVID hit that year and it was a real tough year to sell a horse. And I had, I want to say six to eight babies that year. And when he was way back in the book because of his pedigree, and I didn't really know whether I should let him go after the year I had or keep him and roll the dice. I don't know how deep you want me to go with this story. (laughs) Keep going. (laughs) The night that I drove home, I had sold two horses really well on the sale. I'd sold two horses and lost money after that. So I'm driving home in the dark, and I'm thinking, like, what do I do? Do I keep him? He's mine, all mine. Or, like, just give me a sign. Like, just give me a sign, please. And so uh, as I'm thinking about I need a sign, Chris Stapleton's song comes on the radio. And anybody who has followed our story knows this deal. The song that came on were bits and pieces of Four Leaf Clover, Lucky Pennies and Four Leaf Clovers. And, I, and it pulled me out of my headspace of looking for the sign. And the day that I went and picked this colt up at the chute, I was meeting the van driver. I was going to load him on the van. And I reached for my shank in the passenger seat, and there was a penny in the middle of my rope shank. And I don't remember the penny being there. I grab my camera. I take a picture of the penny. Still have it to this day. It's dated. It's in his file. I keep a file for every horse. I knew the penny meant something. Didn't know what it meant. Kept it. You know, fast forward 10 months, I'm driving home looking for the answer to my question. And Chris Stapleton is talking about lucky pennies and four-leaf clovers. Doesn't mean a shitload to me. Never heard the song before, but it pulls me out of my headspace. I go to the sale the next day. Liz Crow's the underbidder at 40 or 45 on my coat. My reserve was 49. I keep the colt for 50. I'm heading back to the farm the next day to feed him. And the Chris Stapleson song comes on the radio again. Uh-oh. It's only then that I realize that the rest of that song, I'm, a- I'm asking for a sign for what I should do. The words in that song go, Honey, for once in our life, let's take our chances and roll the dice. Nobody wins afraid of losing. The hard roads are the ones worth choosing. So I was being sent the sign. I just didn't realize it at the time. I made the right choice, in my opinion. And that's been our theme song since we started two years ago down the stream. That's amazing. That's a great story. Yeah, oh. and it doesn't, it doesn't stop there because I send the cold to Steve S. Mewson. I sent him to Florida to be broke. Uh, I broke him and then sent him down to Brandon and Allie Rice for the winter. I bring him up in March 15th to Esmussen because the goal is to run and sell in April. The first time I ever watched this Colts breeze with Esmussen in March of 20, I come out of the ladies' bathroom and I look down and there's a penny on the ground. So I pick it up. I watch the horse work three-eighths. I'm cooling him out because they let me. And there's a four-leaf clover on the ground, and I pick it up. I still have both of those things in, in, uh, pressed. Woman, you're, giving me, you're giving me goosebumps, woman. <laughs> yeah, we're not done yet. We're not done yet. Because on the day that he won, I went home to change my clothes. Uh, 
not just a mile from Keeneland, a jump in the truck. It's 11, 11 a.m., 1111, and I head to Keeneland. And what song do you think is playing on the radio? I'm guessing Chris Stapleton. Yes, sir, it was. I, I had the video to prove it. And you know what's weird is Chris Stapleton just played Lexington a few days prior to that, too, didn't he? He did. I wish I wish I'd have gone. Wow. What do you think about that, CC? So let's talk about naming the horse you make me happy. Where did that come from? Oh, you guys know. So after I watched him, you know, lap the horses in January, February, March, I knew I wanted to keep the horse. And um so I would sing to him I wanted to name, I knew I wanted to name something for my dad. You know, my dad was in the late stages of Parkinson's at the time. And he used to sing, You Are My Sunshine, to me all the time. So when we were lunging in preparation for the September sale, I sang that song to my horse every day with the intentions of, well, you know, if I end up fortunate enough or make enough money enough to keep him, I'm going to name him something in regards to that song. And when I went to name him, every part of that song was taken, you know, like, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine, you know, anything with sunshine in it was taken. And that's how he ended up, you make me happy, was the next line in the song. And, and I like it better anyway, because when you shorten it up, he's just happy, and it makes me happy to say it. So, Alan, why don't you take over from here? Well, I mean, you know, we haven't got to the good part yet, right? What about you make me happy? Uh, because last Saturday... He made you very happy. This, the did. video went kind of pseudo-viral. You may not know that or whatever, the view after the race. And for those that don't know, you make me happy. Uh, one, at Keeneland. Uh, they've been upset, so to speak. And then the, the video of you, uh, they're kind of shocked, kind of in disbelief. It was one, one of the things that's great about horse racing is seeing your reaction after the race. Because you had all, you checked all the boxes. Tears, joy, disbelief, confusion. Uh, I how, what was I'll it like? I think I was so happy for my horse. You know, he had a few knick-knack physical things that challenged me as a horseman. He wasn't easy. He was complicated, not in big ways, but multiple little ways. So I have to say, honestly, when I was in Toronto, I was ashamed of my horsemanship. It took me a while to figure this horse out. I went up there thinking it would be so easy to kick ass in Woodbine, and it wasn't. And it wasn't because my horse was presenting little problems for me that I had to figure out. And um, I'd place him where I thought he could win, and he couldn't. And he would do this, and I can't, you know. And I knew the talent was there. I just, it just took us a while. It just took us a while to nurse it out. And what's the most rewarding thing for me, part of the reason why I cried, was because we finally figured out everything that got his confidence back that made him I knew going into that race he would win that day I bet $140 on him to win that day because I just saw his confidence all come back I I just you know sometimes when horses are having little problems they tell you that it rattles their confidence they're not very different than people and when things don't go their way, when they really want to do their job really well and it can't get done, they their confidence gets shaken. And when you fix all those problems and they figure out that they have everything where it needs to be, you watch them come to life. And I knew going into that race, he was sitting on the win. There wasn't well, yeah. a doubt. 
we're going to talk about something you just mentioned in a moment. But first, I think one of the reasons with this, first off, I know this horse well. Uh, I know that I've followed the horse. I've, I've known that you've trained the horse and stuff. Oh yeah, to me, Trudy Vino is synonymous with you. Make me happy. I do know my Kentucky racing oh, a little bit. That makes me so happy. Yes, yeah, so I always knew Trudy Vino. I just didn't know how to pronounce your last name. That's all. But one of the things that, and one of the reasons this horse always struck me, now I'm not going to tell you that I thought he was going to win Saturday, is a horse would always, I guess because he had a lesser named trainer, he would always outrun his odds. He'd go off at big odds, right, and he'd always outperform himself. Correct. And it seemed mm-hmm. like he would run very well at Keeneland, and Rockfield Bay Hirano seems to know the horse well. It seems like it all came together Saturday. Yeah, Rafi rolled him really well, and Rafi had ridden him in the spring of the year going short on the dirt. Um, I, I stretched him out going a mile and 16th on the grass in April of of this year, and he ran third. He ran huge. He's out of a war front mare. I thought he might like to go long. Rafi couldn't ride him that day, so Edgar picked him up. Um, but, uh, ultimately this horse likes to be on the lead and I think he really prefers the shorter distance. He likes the dirt, but very flexible colt. Don't get me wrong. Don't, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this horse would stretch out again on the dirt without any problem at all. Now that he's got all of, uh, now he's, he's got all of his confidence back, you know. And, uh, you mentioned a moment ago. Are you sure you only bet $140 to win on that horse? The reason I'm asking is you probably know this. Your horse actually made a lot of noise, not just for the fact that you won with him. The odds on your horse dropped like a rock going into the gate. Did you realize that your horse was 15 to 1 going into the gate? And he went off 6 to 1 by the time they hit the wire. Are you sure you didn't put more than $140 down on this horse? No, I'll show you my tickets because I gave all of my winnings to the girl that gets on him. So I, I know oh, really? exactly. I know exactly what I bet, and I know exactly what I'm giving her. So uh, I can tell you that for, for sure. Somebody threw 30000 to win on that horse or something, because somebody, somebody really respects your training job, Trudy, because that, you, you do, you did notice Ooh. that, right? It wouldn't take $30,000 to drop the odds like that, would it? I'd say so. Wouldn't you, CC, on a Saturday at Keeneland? I Absolutely. bet you did. I mean, that's an amazing move, Trudy. That's a, that's a, that's a hell of a I move. Think- I think it has to do with the three scratches, to be honest. I know we were 15 to 1 in the morning line. I knew that. You were 15 to 1 going in the gate. (laughs) Are you serious? Yeah, you were 15 to 1 going in the gate. Yeah. You're $140 a win. She got you a hell of a lot more money. God damn it. I got robbed. (laughs) Some some of the other backers did, too. That cost you some beat. Please don't tell that to his exercise rider, Taylor, because she might be disappointed she'd have had more money. <laughs> That's okay. I still, it's still a nice hit and stuff, but it's such a great story. <laughs> um, the cowgirl thing. Uh, if, if anybody's seen your pictures and stuff, and they're going to when this comes out or whatever, you had a couple horses named cowgirl in the past that were successful. Cowgirl's a bit of your persona, isn't it? I mean, I guess I, you would have to say most people know me over at Keeneland by my first name. And if they didn't know me by my first name, they would say, you know, that girl that wears all the cowgirl hat and sparkly bling. Oh, I love it. I think it's a great look. And uh, uh, that actually brings me along to because I caught that from reading some of your Facebook posts. And one of the things that actually did strike me about face, uh, your Facebook posts is, if you wasn't into this game, I get the feeling that writing might have been up your alley because you're you're you've got you've got a bit of a knack for that. Is writing something you ever wanted to do? Oh yes, sir. If I could make money at that, that would be my second choice without a doubt. 
Uh, I've, I've known that since I was six years old. If you put a piece of paper in front of most children, they would draw you a picture. If you put a, pe- a blank sheet of paper in front of me, I'd write you a poem. Oh, that's nice. So you ever, you ever try it? You ever try to make any money doing it? No, but I've written a lot of poetry. Okay. Put- Let me ask you this, because I, I thought maybe this was your first winner, but it turns out you've had winners in the past. Uh, jockeys, now, and since it's been such a long time in between wins or whatever, uh, you know, jockeys win their first race, wherever they get doused with eggs and powder and all that, that shit. Did you get anybody throw anything at you or they know they better not to? Oh, yeah, I've still got pictures of that down in Tampa. I, it would have been somewhere around 1994, I would have so. Yeah, I mean, no no jockey ever wins their first race without getting pounded with eggs and shaving cream. I thought maybe you might have got it as a trainer now after you make me happy one. I thought maybe. Oh, they... no. No, no, but I'll tell you this. I cried so hard from the winner's circle to the gap off of the racetrack that the um, – Track vet thought they claimed my horse because I was crying so hard when I left the track. She said, oh, I'm so sorry they claimed your horse. Oh, no, they didn't claim my horse. I'm just happy. Yeah, we saw we saw the video and stuff. That's what, it's, it, again, it's so awesome because you're like uh, just a ton of emotions and stuff. But at the, oh, end of, at the end of the day, it's all pure joy, right? It's pure joy. Yes, pure joy. That's all it was. Yeah. Been, yeah. I dreamt about this day for so long. It took it took forever. I thought it would be so easy, but, uh, you know. And what's next for the horse? Because the horse did not get claimed, which I know that that had to make you feel incredible. Uh, what's What What are you thinking down the road with the horse? Where are you taking him? Taking her I'm always so blessed to have a farm that I can take my racehorses to. So he's literally, he literally got turned out in a 10-acre field today. Um, I wheeled him back quick, so I'll give him more time. I would think somewhere around Thanksgiving we'll take a peek and what's, see what's there for him, but... He's absolutely on top of his game. So I I feel like, I mean, he ran third main special weight going a mile 16 on the grass last spring. I feel like I have lots of options with him, with him being so sharp and sound and good-minded, you know. So you look for him somewhere around Thanksgiving weekend at Churchill, I would think. Well, I tell you what, while you continue to sip on your vino, Mr. Vino. <laughs> they probably figured that out. Uh, I'll kick it back to uh, Cece. Okay. Hey, Trudy, uh, yeah, I got some more questions for you. On, on the day of the race, uh, the Raphael was riding or wearing uh, yellow silks with an orange sun on the back uh, with a smiley face. Did, did, any chance that had anything to do with your father? Oh, Those you silks? know, it did. you know, it did. I wish you, I could send you pictures and videos to you boys um, of all of those things because, yeah, I designed those silks uh, in regard to the song of my dad. What you probably didn't see was on the sleeve of those silks was a survey, was a compass, north, west, north, south, east, and west. And that um, black compass on the left and right sleeve of those silks were on every, my, my dad was the best surveyor in Nova Scotia, and he passed away in March of this year. And those, that compass was on every survey plan he ever signed. So, wow. yeah, totally devoted to my dad. That's awesome. That's yeah. cool. The the young lady in the video that's floating around on Twitter, I think TVG put it out. Is that the uh, is that Taylor who you were speaking of earlier, the the exercise girl? Yes, and you need to go back and look at the post she po- uh she tagged me in because she wrote a beautiful post about now I didn't meet Taylor until I come back from 
Woodbine this summer and needed somebody to get on him. And she's the only one that's been on him since I got back from Toronto. She was on him before the race and opening weekend. And she was the one that gave me confidence to move him from the $50,000 price tag to the seventy-five because she told me how different he was from prior to the fifty to going into the seventy-five. And without her, I wouldn't have made that move. I probably would have ran him for forty this coming week going seven again. It's probably what I would have did without her confidence. Um, she speaks of, if you look at that post that she tagged me in, she speaks of meeting me and I lost my dad and I lost a miniature pony that I had for 21 years named Nano. He was 35 when I put him down this July and we talked a lot about grief. She recently lost a granddad. But those things and people that we love send us signs. So I was sharing her everything that I had seen from the other side and she couldn't believe that I was open to witnessing those signs. So that's what the post was all about. It was about, wasn't about the win only being about happy. It was about um, him carrying the hopes and dreams uh, and God's timing uh, in regard to all of that. But I encourage you to look at the post that she shares with me because I was truly humbled that in such a short time I could touch another life so deeply, and I'm so grateful for her. Where, so. where can you find that post? Um, it's on my Facebook page because it's she tagged Facebook me page. in. Yeah, okay. and she tagged okay. me in, and I want to say yesterday. What's Taylor's last name? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know because it's multiplied. She has two last <laughs> Hang on. That's okay. That's okay. We'll, we'll catch on. But it's, it's not like an amazing story. There's so much cynicism <laughs> in this game. And it's just great to hear stories such like this, whatever. And so, I mean, uh, I think it's wonderful. But we'll we'll t- we'll find that. I'm so thankful to you boys for even noticing. You know, I know I'm just a nobody in the game. There's I know Steve Houston is always going to have the favorite, no matter where I run. I know I'm always going to be 21 and I get 20 to one against the big boys, and and I don't care. I mean, I I place my horses where I think they can win. And um, I, I'm just so grateful for you guys for taking notice. It means a lot to me. We're not the only ones that took notice of you this week, and I assure you that, Trudy. That's well, just... I don't if you had asked me who way. trains you make me happy, I could have told you Trudy Vino <laughs> six months ago. I really could have. It, it's more you of a mean? sickness with me in much I pay attention to Kentucky racing. I'm so but... shocked about that. I absolutely flabbergasted me that anybody. I thought it was Benoit, B-E-N-I-O-T, but, you know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't have my readers on when I saw it. So <laughs> I, I forgive you for that. You got Trudy. Trudy, I do want to – that does remind me, I was going to ask you, do you take an extra sense of pride? I mean, this is a uh, – Hollywood script come true in yeah. a way that you, you want to race at Keeneland. But, you know, just reading the trainers that you beat with your horse, uh, Steve Asmussen, Greg Foley, Ian Wilkes, uh, Mark Cassie, and Dale Romans were in that field. Uh, you, you take any sense of pride that your no. horsemanship uh, went out over those guys? You sure no. should. You no, should. I don't give a rat's ass about that. What I give a rat's ass about is that I was able to help my horse overcome some of the things that were plaguing him and why it took us 14 starts to break that maiden. Because when I first started with that horse, I thought we would do it and start one, two, or three. And um, he taught me a lot about patience and perseverance. 
but at the end of the day, I am most grateful that my horse found his confidence in his way to the winner's circle. And that's really all that matters to me. Don't give a rat's ass who I beat as long as my horse did what I thought he could do two years ago. Awesome. Last question for me. Uh, I, we ask this of everybody that, that wins a race, a, a notable race. Uh, how did you celebrate? <laughs> All right, story time. <laughs> I went to dinner, a really nice dinner at Sedona on Harrodsburg in Man of War with Barb Borden, who's been my friend forever, long before she ever became the head steward. Had a great meal, celebrated well, come out of the restaurant and found out that my uh, half-ton truck had been towed away. So I ended up in the scummy part of downtown Lexington trying to get it back until midnight, along with about a million other people. I think they made $15,000 towing people away Saturday night. Oh, I wish it could have been better, but it sounds like it started out well. It, it would have taken a lot to ruin my day, and that never ruined my day, but that's kind of funny. I always said that when we look back on that, we'll remember the win, and we'll remember get, getting towed away for nothing. Right. Sedona is on my short list of restaurants uh, in Lexington. Gotta go. It, Great menu. You, you, re- yeah. you, you recommend Sedona? I think it's, yes, it's near, near Malone's. Malone's is my uh, mainstay. Yeah, and, well, uh, you know, I would have been there, but it was a two-hour wait. Right, right. And I needed to party. I, <laughs> I can't wait to wait. I can't wait <laughs> two hours to party when it took me six years to win a race. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> well said. <laughs> well said. All right, Alan, you got anything else for uh, Trudy? We... Well, yeah, there's a, there's something I actually want on a personal level because uh, she is she's got the cowgirl vibe going. She uh, she is uh, very uh, in tune with that or whatever. So I'm a classic country aficionado to some extent i'm guessing you probably like old country music or even the newer stuff who do you like who has been at the if i went and hit uh, hit the playlist right now who would i be listening to oh that's a tough one you know because i just like it all i like i mean i like way back to charlie pride oh yeah um he should have a movie made about him by the way anyway go ahead uh yeah no i mean i like all the modern stuff too but um Trying to think of what would remind me of my dad, uh, my dad the most. I mean, because my dad sang all of the old, old country to me, but old Lynn dogs, Anderson or old dogs know. and watermelon wine would be right up there. That's Tom T. Hall, right? Tom, from yeah. Yep. Yeah. You like Merle Haggard? You like uh, yeah. Charlie Rich? Oh, uh, I mean, we go on and on. You go back to the nineties. What's the best decade for country music? You have seventies mm-hmm. and nineties. I'd have to say maybe. Yeah, I would say nineties. I would say nineties for sure. I was I was down learning to gallop for Jonathan Shepherd and that's when um, you know, the judge Garth Judge and Garth Brooke were all, you know, running head to head for the lead there. I would say the nineties. Randy Travis. I could go we I could do I could do a podcast about old classic country music or eighties <laughs> music or whatever, but you know, maybe one of these days we'll do that. Yeah, I might be back for that one. You got it to be the first guest there, Trudy. <laughs> All right, I guess that's uh, I got about all I got or whatever. I probably should have touched on Canada a little bit, but uh, we'll let her maybe next time, right? When she that's, wins the next race. Yeah, that's, that's fine. That's part two. Whenever I, uh, get, get I feel so blessed for you guys having me. I just want to thank you very much for acknowledging. Oh, there's no need. It's our pleasure. This has been great. You seem like an absolute gem, Trudy. But it, and it come through. It, 
you know, had this, you know, you see your name in the, in the form, but then you see the, the video and it's like, I bet, I bet this meant the world to her. And she seems like a great, a great person. She's going to be fun to have on or whatever. And, <laughs> you know, uh, anybody can have Todd Fletcher just, but I mean, we got Trudy uh, Vino. So, right. 100% correct. <laughs> All right, Trudy, that's, uh, this, this has been fantastic. Uh, you know, you're, you're everything we, we'd hoped you'd be. And, uh, and good luck to you going forward. Hope you pick out some good uh, yearlings this fall and, 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 and you make a lot of money next year. Thank you so much, guys. I'm so humbled that you would even notice who I am. Have a great night. You Thank guys. You. Thanks, Trudy. Bye. Well, that was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Trudy Vino was outstanding. Uh, she's uh, She seems like a character. And uh, is, she's one of many characters on the backside of racetracks across America. You know, in this game, you're not right all the time. Sometimes you're never, it seems like you're never right. But, uh, you know, but, you know, the time to pat yourself on the back once in a while when you know, when you are right and you kind of knew that you were right. I think we were right about this one. We, we, we had a feeling that Trudy was not only going to be, uh, an amazing guest with a great story that she was just going to be an awesome firecracker to have on. And if you don't love her after hearing that, or even, I guess if you met her in real life, I, I don't know what's wrong with you because she was fantastic. She was she was a spitball, a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean the the big dogs, the Fletchers and the Chad Browns and the Bafferts and those guys, they win a lot of races. But the the, the game is a whole lot more fun uh, when when these guys step up and and, and win their share. I, I, you know, you win so much. The Chad Browns and the Fletchers win so much, and that's their job. That's great. They're stoic. I mean, does it even mean anything? Do they even remember their horse's name? I guarantee it. It's been a long time since those guys have felt the joy. Uh, that, that Trudy did when she won that race on Saturday, right? And like I said, the cynicism and, and, and the nastiness in the game gets on my nerves. I ignore it. I, it's, this is the kind of stuff that when I start to think, and maybe this just isn't the right thing, seeing things like this, hearing things like that, that, that kind of renews your, uh, renews your senses a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was like Rich Strike winning the Derby. When, you know, I was upset because it cost me a pick five and, Exactus and tries and everything, and I saw his wrist strike and Eric Reed for low key connections. That kind of and you look thing. back and it's money gets spent. You know, you're going to have your winners, you're going to have your losers, but you're going to remember that now, right? You're going to remember wrist strike, and you think Trudy's going to remember you yeah. when she won at Keeneland on a Saturday in the fall? Yeah, of course she is. So absolutely. So okay, uh, now we're going to turn our attention to the Breeders' Cup. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, not tonight, but we're going to. Hopefully have Kevin Kilroy of the Fairgrounds. He's going to join us uh, later in the week. And then, of course, next week we're going to do our annual Breeders' Cup show. And we're going to have our friends on, uh, hopefully, Caitlin and um, and JJ. Everybody loves them. They're great. I mean, they know their shit. There's no question about that. They've proven that in the past. And I do believe we'll be the only podcast to have a Breeders' Cup preview on next week, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, it's not a very popular uh, subject. Yeah. Uh, ah, facetiousness. But yeah, we'll talk. We'll let we'll, we'll let them do the heavy lifting. They're who people want to hear anyway and stuff. So we'll let them I've, do the heavy lifting. I've I've purchased a device through the mail. Uh, Brandon is on. I'm going to uh, uh, fix a shot collar to Brandon if he mentions more than four horses in a race. <laughs> That's a good I'm idea. Going, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to uh, send a shock over the internet. I'm going to uh, put an end to that. Money well spent. Money well spent. All right. That's all for now. So on behalf of Alan Schneider and the absent Brandon Jaggers, I'm CC Broadus reminding you that gambling money ain't got no home.